1: It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name's Craig. My name's Andrew. We don't have much to say, but we just want to tell you that this week we had a special guest, Natasha. We did a crossover episode with her last year for Bag of Bones, and we decided to get back together to talk about Johnny Tremaine.
0: Johnny Tremaine, yeah, that's Natasha from the Unspoiled Podcast Network. Um, she'll tell you a little bit more about how to find all that stuff during the episode. But yeah, it was, it was super fun. We, we always like recording with Natasha and, um, we really like introducing our audiences to each other. Yeah. We think they're compatible. If you know what I mean. Whoa. Whoa. Check out the book. Check out the books. (laughs) All right, everybody. Here's our episode with Natasha from unspoiled talking about Johnny Tremaine. (laughs)
1: You know, it took less
0: time (laughs) to read. That's for sure. That's definitely for
1: sure. The thing, so that's true. The the book you're referring to. So we talked about Bag of Bones by Stephen King. By Stephen King. Mm -hmm. And I had forgot. I'm just having flashbacks now to how much of that book was not set in that small town in Maine. Before mm-hmm. things started happening,
0: oh yeah, right. Because he just like he just was Stephen King for a while, and then, yeah. and then the book got started. Yeah, like, there's a just a half in. a
2: book of him fighting with his publisher. Oh yeah, that's which is supposed to be interesting, for riveting some reason. stuff.
0: None of that <laughs> yeah. in Johnny Tremaine. No, <laughs> it's that's mostly true. fanfic about the Revolutionary War. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it yeah, is a bit of accurate. a yeah. It's like a Revolutionary War like what is there a is there a male version of of mary suing that like harry harry doing, marty sue Marty, <laughs> marty suing, um that like what if we just plugged a boy that wasn't real into history now uh, plenty of people have done that but the ways in which this story does it i think are pretty good
2: mm-hmm.
1: um now you have read this Hair. natasha right
2: I'm sorry, I'm stuck on Harry... Harry Bluey. <laughs> Harry really Bluey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, I read this as a kid a few times um, and really loved it. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, was a book nerd as a kid and I liked things that were either British, like children's literature, or set in Britain, or in this version. There are lots of British characters. <laughs> um, that's enough for me, I guess. And uh, I just don't think I was ready re- when I came back to it for, like I said, Johnny Tremaine's kind of an asshole. And also she's way more nuanced with like depicting the various sides of everything mm-hmm. than I expected. I thought it was going to be like, Oh, remember the red they're horrible people. And there's a scene with a pretty brutal attack on a Tory in the street. Mm-hmm. And the Whigs are obviously like the revolutionaries and I didn't remember that at all, that she's like willing to portray them as being a little bloodthirsty and like an, in an unnecessary way at times. Right.
0: Yeah. And at the same time, Johnny has some like pals at the stables who like hang out with them and give him work and like teach him how to horse sometimes <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yep
2: indeed yes and there's That's like a, my skills and so my resume is horse. there is
0: there's that one bit toward the end let's just jump right to the end of the book where everybody's fighting already but um, yeah that thing where he passes um like lieutenant stranger or whatever his name is and it's like i well, think yeah, a his couple name ago, is
1: actual lieutenant stranger i think that <laughs> yeah. might be his name
0: a couple like a couple days ago we might have been friends but now if i go over and try and make sure he's okay like he'll probably have me shot for, you know, for helping out the sons of Liberty or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, where do we want to start? Like I have a lot of facts about Esther Forbes who wrote the book. Um,
1: yeah, what do you uh, got?
2: Yeah, normally in my intro, I'm like, "This is the book by so and so," and I did not do that this time. Th- <laughs> so thanks for like giving her credit. That's okay, <laughs> that I did not do.
0: Everybody but knows about. I have Johnny another Tremaine.
2: glass of wine over here.
0: Um, so she was a she was born in 1891 and she died in 1967. She was a novelist and a historian, um, and she won both the Newbery Medal for Johnny Tremaine and then the Pulitzer Prize for history. For her book. Um, it's a biograph- an autobiography of Paul Revere wait. and wait, it's one of the kinds of biography. Paul Revere <laughs> she and the world. He traveled through
1: time and inhabited <laughs> Paul Revere's body and then wrote a book. It's and called and then Paul traveled- Revere
0: and the world he lived in. And it's about Paul Revere and the world that he lived in. It was published in 1942. Um, and yeah, I guess apparently one of her great uncles was Sam Adams. I don't know if she can like back that up or if she just like it's like telling people that you have an uncle who works at Nintendo, but that's (laughs) That's how I get all the
1: games early. Yeah.
2: I love that's the comparison that you went to. That's just that's
1: where my brain lives. Really? I uh dated someone in high school who claimed to have been babysat by the pink Power Ranger. The actress, not the Power Ranger. (laughs)
2: Oh, that's too bad. That's but I don't, again, interesting now.
1: unverified <laughs> claims. Um, though I do think, Andrew, th- something that makes me think that might be real, she was in 1960, I think, inducted into the American Antiquarian Society. Right. Which was actually founded in 1812 by like a bunch of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's gone on to like mostly preserve a lot of, uh, printing history, like documents and stuff from pre-20th century, like what we'd call British North America, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. like
2: the, At first, it just sounded like a really polite way to say an old folks' home. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> an antiquarian society. No, Grandma, it's not like the other places, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> they have books. Uh,
1: um, so, yeah, what I... else do I... What do, oh, you I was,
0: what do you have? Do you want to talk for a while? Because well, I can keep I, going.
1: But I'll talk for a little bit. I'll say that she uh, she started working at Houghton Mifflin in Massachusetts before she moved to New York to write her novels. Um, her first published novel, "O Genteel Lady," exclamation was, point! <laughs> exclamation point! Excuse me.
2: Is <laughs> um, it? Oh, I love the exclamation point! Published of things.
1: in 1926, it was the second ever book of the month. From the Book of the Month Club, which does exist here in the year of our Lord 2018. <laughs> so that's kind of neat. A that's pretty wild. It's a, it's um, like, I'm going to look into that. Yeah, it's like Blue Apron, but books, I guess. Um, <laughs> a better way to book. She spent a couple years after she moved to New York, she spent some time in the 30s uh, back in, in Massachusetts, actually living with her family after she had divorced her husband. Um And was, like, writing these historical fiction novels. So, like, I read one account, I think it might have been in the Ford of Giant Tremaine, where they were like, oh, the reason she was so good at Giant Tremaine was because she won a Pulitzer for history. Uh, And that might be true, but also she wrote, like, three historical fiction books set in... That period of Massachusetts, yeah, like her Mm. her
0: second, well, of her early books, the most famous one and the one that I think is still in print is called uh, A Mirror for Witches, which is about the Salem witch trials. Mm. And then yeah, the Paul Revere book and
1: this one are her three big ones. But I came across one called The General's Lady, which is about a real woman. Exclamation point! No, (laughs) I wish (laughs) the the exclamation point is in the middle. The (laughs) General's Lady. Um, it was based on the true story of Bar- Bath- Bathsheba Spooner, excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, who
2: That is a name. Was
1: the Ooh. first woman ever hanged in Worcester Mass and the, was part of the first capital case of the United States because wow. she hired two former British soldiers to kill her husband so that she could be with her lover. Who did not kill her husband when she asked him to? Uh,
2: This lady sounds rad. Why is there not a movie about (laughs) her?
1: I think there is stuff about her, so you could go look her up. It seems she was pregnant with her lover's child, and it seems like they sped up the trial because she was working with British, like former prisoners of war. So there was like an anti loyalist sentiment. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, look up Bathsheba Spooner, I suppose.
2: You don't name your kid that and don't expect her to be hanged for, like, attempted <laughs> oh <my> murder. <laughs> Come on. That's just what's going to happen.
1: Shout <laughs> that's, out that's to just, all I, the best Sheebas out there, I suppose. I think it's good, it's
0: just good to celebrate historic firsts, you know? you hanging from that glass you know. ceiling. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: um, there is an introduction in my copy of Johnny Yeah, Trang. yeah that I thought was hilarious, because I had no idea this was even allowed. But it says there, uh, there was more that made the book unlikely. As a writer, Forbes faced enormous struggles. She had to work her way through dyslexia. She rarely spelled a word the same way twice. Her punctuation was a series of dashes, and that's it. And her temperament would have driven most editors to tears. She refused to accept suggested changes to her story. She refused to clean up the manuscript with po- proper punctuation. And she refused to even bother with standard English spelling.
0: Boy, sounds like a writer to right? me. I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I the M dash and the page break are on purpose. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me otherwise. <laughs>
2: Did you guys have in your copy, was the um, dialogue all with, like, single quotes
1: instead of double
2: quotes? Yes. Yeah. And
1: there were a couple that I actually thought were, like, not purposefully unclosed. Like, there were a couple that would, like, it would close for a character doing something, and then it would just start being dialogue again. Um, mm-hmm. Which I guess I'd chalk it up to this because if you also noticed it, and I don't know because I was reading it on a Kindle, um, and maybe it's just that edition. But I presume that that's probably how it is. That happens sometimes. Uh, yeah,
0: I didn't clock it while I was reading it, but now that you mention it, yeah, that's that's my copy as well.
1: There there were a couple scenes where like I would l- lose track of who was speaking occasionally because I couldn't it. I don't know if it's just because I'm so trained to double quotations, which I think is what you're getting at, Natasha, but I definitely how she navigated in and out of like one character speaking for a long time would sometimes lose me a little bit.
2: Yeah, it was weird. Like I didn't actually notice until I was halfway through the book. So it seemed to be fine. And then I think, Craig, what you're talking about where it like either ended and then something else started without a quote at the start or vice versa. And that was when I stopped and was like, wait a minute, is he repeating what somebody else said to someone? And then I looked at previous pages and I was like, it's been like that this whole time. I just didn't even see it.
1: (laughs) There's also, and this will, I will hit this, I guess in, in the sequence of the plot, but there's a period of the later part of the book where Johnny is like thinking about who he is and like where he comes from and deciding who he's going to be. And it's hard. It was hard for me to tell if he was thinking in his head or if he was saying words out loud because, like, in the action of the scenes, he's, like, in the room with his, like, sort of sister, sort of love interest. And right. He, like, he's saying things that he has thought out loud. Or he has thought, like, quietly to himself, but they're in quotations. And I think a modern printing convention would maybe push the author to, like, put that in italics if it's in the person's head or something like that. Um mm-hmm. So yeah, this was written when this was written in forty. It post, came 42, out in came out in forty three. So the so the other thing oh, wait no 40, the...
0: 42. she won the um,
1: she won an award in forty three. Okay, um the the thing I also want to bring up from the forward, which I'm glad you brought up, Natasha, was the the whole like this was published during World War Two, and it's like consider this as a as a reading it as a young adult while your nation is fighting the largest war in the history of the universe um, yeah, and Actually, what that m- means for like a rah-rah American thing that as you point out though isn't at times is very rah-rah and we should probably poke some holes in some of it but is also a little nuance in terms uh, of coke. like how a community deals with starting a war mm-hmm it was, actually, yeah. it was actually it was actually forty
0: three. Okay, my notes. I think, my <laughs> notes were right, and then they were wrong. I, I think the
1: forty two forty three <laughs> thing was the Paul Revere book. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. You are right. Yeah. You are right. Um, but yeah, um, but yeah. This... I think like it's Go ahead. like
0: there's there is a raw rawness to it, but it's like it's about just war. It's about why people fight in a giant war, which I guess would have been relevant to. To, to people mm-hmm. at the time like, there's that whole there's this guy james otis who is not like always lucid because he got like hit in the head with a the butt of a gun or something i think yeah um and he's saying you know we we give all we have lives property safety skills we fight we die for a simple thing only that a man can stand up and that's like the the quote from the book that's like the heart of the book is like here's you know a lot of people are gonna die and give up a lot of stuff but future generations will be better off because of it. So, like, here's your gun. Good luck.
2: <laughs> I feel bad because, like, Andrew's saying this really serious thing about, like, we're fighting for real things, and Craig, since he's on camera, is doing something <laughs> wild, and I'm cracking up well, underneath so Andrew's very they're, serious they're very monologue. I,
1: <laughs> I think the so that a man can stand up, and it it just has this, like... And I'm swinging my arm, is what I'm doing. I got my elbow at a 90 degree angle, and I'm just swinging my arm. I go, man, can stand up. And there's like an American flag just waving behind me. Yeah. And it's (laughs) got, it's like, so if that's the message of the book, and like reading in the 21st century, I'm certainly very aware of who the book doesn't care about standing up. Um, Anyone who's not a man. I, anyway.
2: I don't know what you mean, Craig. Can you elaborate on that?
1: <laughs> so we're gonna after we complain a little bit more about the book, I think we'll get into the plot. But the the big thing in that James Otis speech that you're alluding to, Andrew, is he does. He goes through like, oh, and the French will have to deal with their children being run over by royal people. And the Spanish will throw off their yokes and... Everyone from Europe, will, every man in Europe, will get to stand up because we did a good job. All
2: those oppressed men, right? And
1: and there's no mention of the 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 literal enslaved people that we see in this book, um, which are included, um, or the rest of the colonies at that time. Um, and I don't know where we are in the history of like, I guess Britain hasn't outlawed slavery yet. Like, cause if it's still in the colonies, so we're before that. Cause I know Britain got rid of it before we did. Um, so yeah. There, and we're like, you know, women or there's just a lot of not standing up for, for, for people. But I guess from a, like a why, cause it is like, it, it's written for a younger audience. It has a, a teen as a main character. It has this kind of like pretty easily digestible point. Which is that you're gonna, you're gonna fight. You're gonna give up something. I think you pointed that out too, Andrew. You're gonna each give up a part of yourself that is part of what you have to offer the world, to to fight for other men, and inspire them.
2: Yeah. Um. All right. I'm gonna like. I do want to get into the plot. I really do. I swear, <laughs> and
1: we will. But <laughs> there's not too much I, of it. We'll be okay.
2: I want to address because. You know, I'm
1: going
2: to I'm going to talk re- like current events a little bit. Oh, But there have been a lot of protests and things that have been criticized for being either violent or people being open to the suggestion of violence in retaliation for having their human rights trampled upon and there have been a couple of instances where property has been damaged and there's all kinds of blowback to that. And people claiming that this isn't the right way to protest and that this isn't acceptable. Um, it's not the American way. And like reading this, I could not stop laughing because do they know what happened or are, is it just like, what kind of history were these people taught? Because that's how everything began was like bashing the windows of people's shops in taking their stuff and throwing it in the Harbor. And they were careful to like only destroy the very thing that they were protesting against specifically Mm -hmm. in the scene of the Boston tea party. Nevertheless, that's like thousands of dollars worth of property that has been destroyed. And we celebrate that. That's something that we take pride in as Americans that we did this, Mm -hmm. but you know, they were white, so it was fine.
1: <laughs> they were white dudes <laughs> in the 1770s. Yeah.
0: yeah, and like
2: dressed as Indians.
1: Cool, <laughs> super um, great.
0: And then yeah, like, we won't talk about speaking that. weird, bad like <laughs> old Walt Disney cartoon Indian speak, Indian speak, like whatever horrible thing you want to call it. Um, yep. But yeah, that's that's a it's an interesting point because um like the the version of that that we get, I think in like school is the sanitized sort of noble version. Like, Oh, if, if the, if we just gotten representation in exchange for our tax money, then, you know, then, then it would have been fine. But like people in Washington DC who pay taxes without having representation in Congress, like they're not burning down a Starbucks or anything to like (laughs) protest.
1: (laughs) And yet, and yet you're seeing like contemporary state legislatures try to like pass laws that, like you are liable for, you know, the police pay or whatever. Like if you break a single like pane of glass, like you're liable for all mm-hmm. the police pay that, uh, you know, was put in during a protest or something like that. It's like uh, all of the stuff that happened when in the first, I think like around the f- very first women's March in D.C., um, a lot of those folks have actually, I think, been cleared in court, but they were like maybe. I think it all people. got thrown out. Yeah. I think it all got thrown out. Yeah. yeah. Um, but a lot of that was based on what you're saying, Natasha, which is like property damage and, you know, ta- taxpayer money wasted. It's like, n- shut up. Right. <laughs> That's, yeah. There's, I
2: just, like, there's. I totally respect the, like, no taxation without representation. I understand where they're coming from, but there were times where I just, like, felt a little eye rolly because what they were getting so angry about felt so minor in comparison to what people are still fighting for now. Mm-hmm. And yet that's not considered enough to warrant the reaction that they're having to how they're being treated. That's, so that's
1: an interesting point. Cause the book does take pains when we approach uh, the tea party stuff um, that it's like, Oh, it's just this tiny little tax that for the most part, people aren't even going to notice in their pocketbook, uh, but because of the taxation without representation thing, which is also attributed to James Otis, um, then we have to make a stand and do something about it. But like, mm-hmm. if you zoom out into history, and the book does allude to it, but it's not part of the events of the book, like the Boston Massacre happened three years before the events in this book, mm-hmm. and that was actually more akin to what we're seeing Today, where like you yell at government officials in the street because they're committing heinous crimes, and so they like all yelled at a British dude, and then they got shot for it. Right. So, uh, it's mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. been over two hundred years, and it's all the same, but we are pretending it's different. Yeah, <laughs> Ugh. and it's
0: it's like this this kind of protest, like it doesn't only happen for this reason, but I think it yeah. happens more often when people feel like the system like there's no way for them to be heard via the system yeah. like the system isn't, isn't mm-hmm. listening to them anymore which is what happens when people win elected office with 51% or less of the vote and then go in and do 100% of things that you don't like, that, mm. that you don't like like of course they have to they have to make calls or whatever but
1: um I like a, i like the phrase 100% of the things i don't like <laughs> It's a good way to think well, about like, it. So
0: they, they get in there <laughs> the with census. They they get in there with fifty one percent, and they act like they have got a sweeping mandate to do like literally whatever they want, like regardless of of what their constituents want. And then there are other there are other systemic things going on, like like uh, districting and and um, uh, like Closing voter ID and voter places. voter suppression stuff, and, and yeah, like n- people look at. The government we have now, and this is like the the highest I'll climb up on the political soapbox, I think, but <laughs> people look at the government we have now Come and it's like a, me, <laughs> <laughs> it's a minority, like it's somebody who did not win the popular vote backed up by like a a congress that did not win the popular vote like that that is just representing fewer people but have more like power because of how the system works like yeah no wonder they're like tearing down silent sam or whatever like they they don't have any other like lever of of power to pull and that's especially true in in North Carolina where the the um Republican legislature there has just like completely stripped as many of the powers away from the Democratic governor as they possibly can. Like, it's just, of course, people are are upset. Language of
2: the unheard, right?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: So, you want to talk about our boy Johnny Tremaine in his hands? Yeah, cheers,
0: everybody. (laughs)
1: Andrew, I heard you were thinking of starting a silversmith business. Yeah,
0: I was, because I need to make fine bowls and cups for
1: wealthy landowners. Well, I think that you should probably get a website. Do you have any experience with websites?
0: Uh, no, I don't have any experience with websites. But that's because I'm, you're,
1: yeah, you're a silversmith. Yeah, not a code smith. Well, too busy
0: smithing silver.
1: Well, I can introduce you to the fine folks at Squarespace, who do know how to smith code, and they can turn your cool ideas into a website. Uh, they do it with beautiful templates that are as beautiful as your silver, and they <laughs> they can you can customize it real easy and real fast, so that you don't have to take a break from your silver. Um, they've got free and secure hosting. They've got search engine optimization. And 24-7 award-winning customer support. So in case you have any trouble or you hurt your hand while you're using your silver and you... If I
0: dump hot HTML all over (laughs) my
1: hands. (laughs) They will help you out. Um, So what can you do... Uh, for your silversmith website you can go to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use the offer code overdue to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain we use squarespace if andrew ever starts a silversmith website i bet he'll use squarespace too Mm -hmm. make your silver with squarespace
0: (laughs) whether you have one of your hands or both of them a great way to brush your teeth is with a Quip toothbrush. brush. Uh, the truth is that most of us are brushing our teeth wrong, not for long enough, or we forget to change our brush on time. That's because brands focus on selling flashy gimmicks rather than better brushing, but not Quip. So here's what makes Quip different, Craig. I know you're just waiting for me to read you this list. Please tell me. Uh, So for starters, Quip is an electric toothbrush that's a fraction of the cost of bulkier brushes while still packing just the right amount of vibrations to help clean your teeth. Quip's built-in timer helps you clean for the dentist recommended two minutes with guiding pulses that remind you when to switch sides. Um, Quip's subscription plans are also for your health, not just your convenience. They deliver new brush heads on a dentist recommended schedule every three months for just five bucks, including free shipping worldwide. Quip comes with a mount that suctions right to your mirror and unsticks to use as a cover for hygienic travel whenever, wherever you take your teeth, which I assume Whoa. is most places. <laughs> and finally, everyone loves Quip. They were on Oprah's O-list, named one of Time's Best Inventions, and it's the first subscription electric toothbrush accepted by the American Dental Association. Those sticklers. And they're backed by a network of over 20,000 dentists and hygienists and hundreds of thousands of happy brushers use Quip every day. So if this sounds good to you, if you want to have good, clean teeth, Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com overdue right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's a $5 value for free. Uh, that's your first refill pack free. Getquip.com slash overdue spelled out. That is G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash overdue. Get quip, brush them teeth,
1: make them shine like silver. Mm-hmm. So there's this guy Johnny Tremaine, who does silver. So I will. So we've talked. We've we've talked about Esther Forbes. We've yelled about the government, and I check, check. think that actually, like, what I remember about the story of this book, because I don't think i was assigned to read it i think i probably fell asleep when we watched the movie in elementary school um i never
2: even knew there was a movie until like two days ago walt
1: (laughs) Walt disney's daughter is in it for like a hot second um Hmm. but i mostly knew that this was a book about a kid whose hand got messed up and that it was set in the (laughs) 1700s i did not (laughs) remember the like that there was a revolutionary war fanfic element going on that's like the whole Um, thing yeah (laughs) i thought it was mostly about like a sad apprentice boy uh, (laughs) who got his life ruined um so andrew would you like to correct the record at the top of the book for me want to tell me what who this boy
0: is I think Natasha should do it because I just talked a whole lot.
1: Oh, that's fair. That's fair.
0: Self-conscious about it. (laughs) Um,
2: You know what? I'm really happy to introduce him because I feel so deeply that Johnny Tremaine is 100% correct to be as horribly prideful as he is Mm -hmm. that I resent what happens to him. Right up until the end of this book. And I do not forgive
1: Esther for doing this to him. Oh, no. Um, I like the idea that she <laughs> inflicted this book on Johnny Tremaine. She
2: could have done and anything And you know, it's she interesting because. Him,
1: yeah.
2: like, she, right? He's at her mercy. And this is what you do, Esther? Come on. Um, but I remembered it differently in my. From reading it as a kid. Mm. I thought that what happened to Johnny's hand. Happened because. Completely because of what Dove does as his like little practical joke and it turns out that's not exactly true so i had to rethink some of how i felt about this but johnny tremaine is an apprentice in the lapham's is that yep. how we want to say, yeah, I'll say lapham's um in the lapham silversmith shop and uh mr lapham is really talented but aging and not keeping up with things the way that he used to <laughs> Andrew, what are you doing in the chat? Just <laughs> engaging
1: the audience, you know. Just putting hands Just in the sorry. chat. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh god. Um, but he is—he has three apprentice boys, which we find out later is kind of like not necessary. He may—he really doesn't need three dudes, nope. but he does have them. And Johnny is by far the most talented out of the three. He's. He is the whole package. This is why I got so mad. (laughs) It's not just that he's talented. He's also a good manager where he's on people and knows what needs doing. He's checking the inventory of coal. Do we need more coal? Do we need to order more? When there's an order being placed, he's in the background low-key writing it down because he knows Mr. Lapham doesn't write that shit down so people get the wrong order bare minimum shit here people we're not asking a lot you order something you want to get what you ordered and johnny is ensuring that this happens but he has to do it off in the background because mr lapham will get offended Mm -hmm. about how there's this apprentice maybe just do your job maybe just do your job and he doesn't have to be this guy
1: so the jerkos working with giant tremaine are dove thank you for taking over no it's good (laughs) Our dove, who you alluded to earlier, and in my notes I put dove in somebody, and I looked up his name later. His name's Dusty, but he doesn't matter. Dusty. Um, Dusty's real young though. Yeah, and Dove is older than Johnny Tremaine and resents how good Johnny Tremaine is at silversmithing. And how he carries himself to the point where sometimes he goes up to dusty in a corner and it's like yo i'm gonna stab johnny with some scissors like he <laughs> literally says that to dusty sometimes um and but forbes and this is where you and forbes uh part ways <laughs> natasha i think <laughs> forbes is like very careful to be like hey if johnny weren't so stuck up and proud He could have been friends with Dove. He could have recognized. Why would you want to be friends with Dove though?
0: Dove, yeah, like pardon my language, but Dove seems like a real crumbum.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm real. Andrew, look, I didn't want to do this on the air, but I don't accept that kind of language on my show. I know. I'm
1: sorry. I I, I take it back. Yeah, you got to call him a real ass butt. Is that, that's what he is. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) That's it. Uh, I just like
2: Dove doesn't have any redeeming features. We go the whole book and he doesn't grow as a person at all.
1: No, he's he's so, that's but that's kind of the thing is like and Forbes keeps being like Johnny Johnny realizes that. Johnny realizes that Dove is morally and emotionally stunted and could use someone to take care of him. And that he's ultimately very weak, whereas I think their initial relationship, Johnny always sees him as a rival that needs to be, like, beaten. um, That is one thing I really liked
0: about about the book, is that Johnny... We see Johnny grow from, like, 13 or 14 to 16. Is that the rough span of time. He's like and 15 or yeah, 16 so. by the end of the book. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely yeah, 16. he's 16 by the end, but yeah, there, there are a couple of moments where he like, he looks at dove and thinks about him in a different way. He looks at um, like a, a shirt that his dead mom oh, made That was him. a really touching scene. Yeah. And, and he just yeah. like, he realizes that he is now old enough to like understand what, the stuff means and and like put himself in other people's shoes a little bit more and i i thought that was a an interesting way to show like his progression as a character and his like maturity yes
2: meanwhile i a full-grown adult i'm like <laughs> yeah all right 14 year old johnny you get him
1: so like the everyone knows that he's super proud and arrogant like so the lapham's uh, Grandpa Lapham and his wife and their daughters Dorcas and Madge. Um <laughs> and their and someone's daughters, Isana and Scylla. Um as I said before, Johnny has like is gonna marry Scylla when he grows up, but right now it's a weird sister relationship. Uh, and Mrs.
2: Lapham isn't isn't Mr. Lapham's wife. Oh, she's just... she's his daughter in
1: law. Oh, okay. That's that helps me out. A lot yeah. actually mm-hmm. makes sense of what's going on. They all like like the, how useful he is, but always kind of give him shit for how Johnny he is. <laughs> like what is it's like Johnny Johnny good as gold? They call him it's or something like yeah. that at one point. Yeah, um, there's
0: um and th- so there's a there's a section where they have to read from the Bible. And the, the, from, from the book, Mr. Lapham's selections for his boys were sometimes designed to point out some fault in a member of his household, especially in the reader. Dove was always being asked to read about sluggards and going to ants. <laughs> and then Johnny's section is turn to Proverbs 11, second verse. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. Proverbs sixteen eighteenth: Pride goeth before destruction and unhaughty spirit before a fall. So like, hey, Johnny. Pride goes before the fall my dude
1: Yeah he literally (laughs) says like Hey Johnny do you Think God would like you and Johnny goes Not especially
2: (laughs) (laughs) But then there's like later okay I'm gonna read this He decided to do nothing that would lay him open to such criticism for at least a morning, but he couldn't help it. First, if he had not jumped on Dusty, the furnace would have gone out. Then he had to explain to his master how badly Dove had done the spoon. Although he tried to sound humble, he was soon behaving perfectly naturally, standing over Mr. Lapham with his notebook in hand, reading off exactly how those spoons had been ordered. (laughs) I stand by it. Listen, somet- sometimes you just need somebody at a business who is willing to be the asshole because that's what makes things run. And Johnny is gonna be that guy, and that's just fine. Well,
1: Good. I was kinda <laughs> I, I kinda am also a little impressed with how the book it brings up pride when it's um not just with Johnny, but when Johnny is talking to Mr. Lapham about like the Whigs and the revolutionaries and and Mr. Hancock who's ordering this special silver bowl um, that will mm-hmm. lead to Johnny's uh, fall but um, he's like asking Mr. Lapham about it and Mr. Lapham's like I don't know they seem like really uppity and they should be, God wants you to be humble and they think that they should like rebel against an entire country and so I, I mm-hmm. found it interesting that like the book actually doesn't agree with that part, but the book does think that Johnny should probably be more humble. So there isn't a one-to-one in, in how Forbes is treating pride, which I think also speaks to you, Natasha being like, yeah, this dude is, he's very good. (laughs) and He should be proud of himself.
2: I just like, you know, I think what would have made the difference to me is if she had had at least one person, who was really trying their best but just couldn't quite reach the yes, level he was. Sure. was still... But like Dove is actively doing shit to fuck with him. Yeah. At one point. It's like, oh, there's no coal left. I didn't tell you because I didn't think you wanted to know. Hmm. And then he when he's ordered to go get some, he brings back really low like quality stuff coal. that isn't was adequate for the job. Coal. Like i'm t- I'm saying this is the kind of thing i'm like i can't get behind oh he could have been nice and then they would have been friends why would you want to be friends with somebody like well, that also, he's not missing out on yeah, anything like, hey
0: dove where do you think your food comes from you know <laughs> how do you think of business this isn't works? like i'm
2: going to mcdonald's and just not doing my job and i go home and nothing really happens to me because i leave work at work you live in that mcdonald's <laughs>
0: It's like if I'm out in a boat and there's a hole in it and then as we're going down, Dove is like, you know, I knew about the hole before, but I didn't tell you about it because you were a jerk to me once. Like, what
1: are you doing, Dove? So this is all building towards, there's lots of like little foreshadowings that Johnny is going to get his someday. Well, Um, and to
0: to drive this home, so there's, he's uh, John Hancock himself. I think is our first brush with a famous historical figure. There's has, like a mention
1: of Paul Revere, but we see John Hancock first. Yeah, yeah has,
0: has ordered this special like ornate bowl to go with a set that Mister Lapham had made many many years before when he still like gave a shit. Yeah. <laughs> <And, laughs> uh, so he's done all this work to like make the the stuff match, and he's thought about it a lot. But because of the cold thing, I think like he just doesn't he doesn't have enough time to do it before the Sabbath. And Mrs. Lapham, who it's
2: because he's a perfectionist, right? Johnny, like the cool thing is that day when he's finally ready to sure. do it, but he keeps on making it and realizing it's not right. It's not right. Why doesn't this look right? And Mr. Lapham is like, no, it's fine. Just make that. But he knows. Oh, right, that's, right. It's not. And then he so goes that's to when Paul, he goes, and he goes sees to Paul, Paul Revere. Revere, and
1: Paul Revere is like, nah, Mr. Lapham sucks. You're right. You gotta fix it. Yes. You know what's up, Johnny. <laughs> <See>? <laughs>
2: Paul Revere knows, and
0: Paul Revere says, "Hey, it, anytime you have some free time, like come, silversmith for me, a uh, non-idiot, and I will pay you well for your time." So, um, so yeah,
2: he's gonna be the Peter Parker to Paul Revere's Tony Stark. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um, Johnny's gonna make this bowl, but he runs out of time, and so he has to do it on the Sabbath, which really drives home like how right. mad he's making God, because nobody's supposed to work on the Sabbath
1: and... Against part, the law in Boston at the time. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Partly because... Like,
2: they have to be real weird about, like, the smoke coming out of the chimney and everything. I mean, yeah. Because <laughs> nobody can detail. tell you're
0: working or somebody's gonna <laughs> nark on you. Um, yeah, Mrs. Lapham, who intermittently seems to have her head on her shoulders, realizes that Mr. Lapham is going to let this opportunity pass them by, and so she says, okay, Johnny, you can work on the Sabbath, and I'll I'll do what I can to help you. But as a mm-hmm. result of Dove... Being a jerk and Johnny not doing the normal stuff he would to tidy his workspace because he's like very I don't know he's just like very into making this thing and he's hurrying and he's worried about it he slips up and he pours like molten silver on his hand. And... Yeah, through a, yeah, through Dove a...
2: goes and grabs a broken crucible mm-hmm. and, and Johnny like rushes when he sees that it's spilling all over the place and like kind of trips and lands hand first. He
1: literally falls. Pride goeth before the fall.
0: Thank you, Esther Forbes. Yeah, and so is from from then on. Like, what is what is his injury? Is that his his thumb is kind of fused to the rest of his hand? That's how yeah, I
1: read it. Yeah, it's like it. it and all his gets hand burned is like curled together. in.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. 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 Just because the like the the way the wound heals attaches all the digits kind of together in a way that that renders him unable to silversmith.
1: And they do not see a real doctor because it was against the law to be working on the Sabbath. So Mm -hmm. he gets like some herbal treatments from a witch slash midwife or something that shows up. And, and
2: apparently like her care was excellent, except for she didn't like set the hand the way that yeah, she could have right. because yeah. it was going to be really painful to do it. So that's one of the, those moments where I rereading it. I'm like, oh, that's so that sucks so much. because yep. She's like trying to save him from pain, but it could have made such a difference to his life. Yeah. Yep. It's
0: still, the worst thing about the American healthcare care system is like sometimes you just kind of see a witch and you can't see a real doctor. <laughs> Because yep. you can't afford it, and you're working on the Sabbath? Man, I hate it.
2: Yeah, my health care plan is a brujeria. <laughs> I just head over to some occult shop for some herbs today. Yep.
1: Bathsheba's got your back on this one. Um, oh, bless her. So Your plan, then just you your plan covers a... several scented
0: sticks of incense, but that's about it.
1: <laughs> he, then he's just kind of having a terrible time. Like He can't do silversmithing. He's For a period of time, he's still living with the Lapham's. Bumming around town trying to find a new job. He doesn't want to do any of those jobs. Yeah. And uh, the noticed... feel
0: sorry for him for about like three days. <laughs> and then yeah. they're like, man, why yeah. isn't this kid doing anything anymore?
1: <laughs> He's walking around town, quote, wearing his hat at a rakish angle with his Same. hand in his pocket. Mm-hmm. Just kind of like yep. being a dude who doesn't want to do anything. They hire a different guy named Mr. Tweedy or Tweedle.
2: Oh, is that so
1: good? That Johnny just keeps calling a squeak pig all the time. I like when
0: characters have names that tell you how you're supposed to feel about them. Very Dickensian, (laughs) yes. That's true. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I actually think that this moment after his hand is injured and how he handles that is much more telling about how Esther perceived him. Yeah, sure you know, she's getting on him about his pride while he's doing everything right and keeping this family afloat, essentially. And, you know, I feel like that's valid. But then once he's injured, there's other stuff that he could be doing to help and he sees it as beneath him and won't do it. So he's not like going and fetching coal or sweeping up or doing like he keeps leaving things undone and just disappearing for the day. And there's all sorts of jobs that he could take if he deigned to take that, but he he, won't do that even the
1: job he ends up taking with the observer the newspaper he meets that kid rab and rab's like i mean you could like hang out here and do stuff and he's like i don't think i'm gonna keep my options open (laughs) this seems dumb writing stories about lost pigs i'll see you later rab Uh, um, but ultimately the, that's where he comes back to after all a whole bunch of other stuff happens.
0: Because Rab's basically true. the mm. only person in town who's like nice to him in any way. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yet,
2: yeah, can we talk about my uh like preteen crush on Rab? <laughs> sure. And Johnny's because, preteen crush on
1: Rab also, I yeah, think. Yes, yeah,
0: kinda. Of, Johnny 100
2: yeah. percent is into him. Oh yeah. Definitely. Yeah, Rab's. Like, I think cool. more so than Scylla. Like there's this framing of how he's jealous. Of Rab spending time with Scylla, and I think that it's more that he wants to be spending time with Rab, yep, instead of him wanting to be spending that yeah, time. with he does with Scylla, think okay. he does
0: think and talk about Rab a lot. Like like he's he's nice to Scylla and acknowledges that he would like to marry her someday. But yeah, yeah he's a lot so, more concerned with what Rab is doing.
1: Yeah, I think we're mm-hmm. we're kind of like gushing a little bit about how into Rab Johnny is, but I I do also just appreciate that it is. It's just, like, a dude he wants to spend time with. Like, whether, like, friendship or whatever it is, like, he's just, like, that's a guy I want to be around, and I'm invested in him. Like, that is a cool thing mm-hmm. to to have in this book. Um, Rab is, like, he's always kind of aloof, and I think the only two things that get him really antsy are dancing and fighting, <laughs> But yes. it takes a lot for him to get involved in either, but when he does, he means business. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, um before
0: we totally and, move on from the from like Johnny the the aloof wanderer, Natasha, oh, you did sure. mention that um you really identified with Johnny. I want to like mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about that a little bit because I like in this I totally get him just like feeling totally horrible after he can't do the thing he does anymore. Like as somebody who gets a lot of like my sense of self worth out of like the work that I do. And like, you have a sign behind I you that, that that is that like all. dedicated to hustling. So I wondered if you had a, <laughs> a similar reaction to that.
2: How dare you <laughs> talk about that life on the air, sir. Um, But yeah, I mean, like, that's an enormous, there's been some (coughs) Tumblr posts circulating recently about how growing up as somebody who's good at things without trying, Mm. you get so much positive reinforcement, and then you get thrown out into the world in college, and you're among people who are in many cases just as good as you are, and you haven't run into that before, and how we utterly fail to prepare kids after lavishing them with praise and awards and all kinds of things to like, you know, reward them for their work. We do not do that for adults. And so once we go out into the world and we're still trying or trying even harder than we used to, we're not getting any of the reinforcement that we crave and we have to find a way to give it to ourselves, which doesn't mean as much to us. Um, So in summary, thank you for coming to my TED Talk about (laughs) me tying my self-worth. But yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard to read now. And it was also hard for me to read as a kid who was extremely artistic, who, like, when Johnny is doing this and is making something that everybody else is saying, that's perfectly fine, just make it, just do it. And he's like, this isn't right. And Mm -hmm. you guys aren't even good enough to understand (laughs) why this isn't good enough. Oh my God, I just so understand that. There were so many things that I was involved with that people were like, that's fine. And I'm like, this is not fine. I have to do two, like, more days of work on this. And I can't believe that you can't see that. Mm. And I am an extremely critical person. I was talking to Andrew about this before we started. Um, So yeah, like relating to... Johnny, like, being frustrated with people not doing the bare minimum of their job and being really invested in doing well simply because he wants to make something beautiful. Like, that's really all it is, is he wants to create something gorgeous. And will he get credit and pride and money for that? Yes, but, like, he could have just made it. As it was Mm. not as beautiful. And he still could have gotten praise and money for that. And that wasn't enough for him. And some
0: of it may even been like like, he he got Paul Revere's attention. Right. And so he like he knows that what might look fine to a client, like people who know what they're talking about are going to see it and they're going to judge him by that. And that might like affect how like people he actually cares about the opinion of might think about him. So, yeah.
2: Well, and st- yeah, there's a, just such a difference between getting praise from a random and praise from somebody that you know knows what they're saying. There's just no comparison. Right. <laughs> that, I mean, that I'll take praise
1: s- from a random. Like, don't get, don't get <laughs> That's it twisted, re- saying, That's yes. the best version of what Twitter is for, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but so it's interesting that you like this discussion of self-worth is really fascinating because the other like the next big section of the book is also Johnny being like my name is actually Johnny light Tremaine and mm. uh actually I have this cup that my dead mom gave me and the the family motto of the light family is let there be light which is really dumb and oh God. You I better than that there's there's a merchant <laughs> in town named Mr. light and he seems like a jerk but he has a lot of money and maybe now that I'm now that I have no other version of self-worth. I should just like bite the bullet and become part of the upper class right. if this guy will have me. Well, and his, his, um, it,
0: that also stems from something his mom told him, which is like, if you have, like, I, I've set up this apprenticeship for you, yeah, but if yeah. you get to a point where you literally have nothing else and you can't turn to anyone else, take this cup to the lighthouse. It's not part of my <laughs> wordplay. <laughs> and. <laughs> And and show it to them. Yeah. <laughs> you dumb idiot. I didn't do it on purpose.
1: <laughs> uh, but so that's... And then that all breaks bad because then Light accuses him of stealing the cup and they have to go to court and he gets a crush on a lady who turns out to basically be his aunt. Um, we all been there, man. Th- yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> um, it's a real Jon Snow situation. But it, it's just kind of like... That, that idea of, like, where Johnny gets his worth from and, and this whole arc, him, the arc of him and the lights, like, carries on throughout the book because then um, Scylla and Izana, the two other Lapham girls, end up, like, becoming wards of the lights. Uh,
2: Can we talk about the two of them? yeah i know that we're running no no that's
1: okay because i just want (laughs) to say like this idea of johnny's self-worth and his arc of like is it something that i earned is it something that i made or is it something that i can like go and just like cash in later i think the revolution Mm -hmm. and when he becomes radicalized by rab or rabicalized he kind of finds himself (sighs) in the revolution right uh but this, his relationship with the lights is this other, like, detour.
2: I like how you're trying to continue your sentence <laughs> yeah, like, that didn't happen. His, but okay, uh, sure.
1: his status as a member of this family is a thing that he ultimately chooses to reject as part of his, like, self-worth. mm mm-hmm. um, but like partly but because they won't have him to, but
0: partly because he wants to
1: <laughs> yeah cuz like you want to bring up the two other girls natasha because i think that is a whole other wrinkle to like what the lights do in this community and like what it is to to like shift classes or whatever right
2: mhm there is like i have serious team johnny tendencies But there is a moment with him and these girls, like, it's a slow build Uh to what's going on Uh with the two of them. But he has this crush on Scylla that works out because they were supposed to get married. So it's a very, like, Uh if things had worked out for him and he hadn't hurt his hand, he would have married the person that he wanted to be marrying. And it feels like she would have been happy to marry him. But there's this girl, Izana, who is the baby of the family and very delicate and extremely pretty. And loves attention and is really good at cultivating attention to get things. And, like, you know, to a degree, that's just being a child. Like, that's fine, you know. But there comes a point, finally, where um, the Lavinia Light, who is, like, the richest woman in the community, I think, um, she is she spots Isana and decides that this is like a beautiful, charming child. And I'm taking her under my wing and Scylla can come with me if she wants, but she's going to be the lady's maid while Isana is going to be like my pet. And Mm -hmm. there's a bizarre scene because I feel like I'm supposed to be on Johnny's side and I am not in which they're going to be going to like a masquerade ball. um, Lavinia and Isana. And Johnny comes over for some other reason to speak to Scylla and is directed to go into the room where they're all getting their costumes ready. And Izana is in her underclothes, a child in her underclothes getting ready to, you know, go to a ball. And he tells her to go put something on that, like, her father would be ashamed of her. And then slaps her.
1: Yeah.
0: What? What? <laughs> yeah, like we are—we the reader, I don't think are supposed to like Izana at all, or no, I- Izzy as all. she as she's called by the family because she is—you only ever see her being spoiled. Like the the way you are literally introduced to her is: Izana was so weakly it didn't seem worth making any plans for her maturity. <laughs> She's yes! also,
1: yeah, she's also the one of the Laphams who, like, she. it's when she's, you know, she's young. She's the one who's like, ew, don't touch me with your hand, Johnny. Like, there yep. are a lot of things in the book that set us up to not like Izzy. Also, we are meant to really not like the lights at this point in the book. So, for the most part, we're, I guess, supposed to be like prepared to be on johnny's side when he slaps what is essentially his kid's sister um, right but no it's pretty bad it's not great it's not- i and, just and don't it's-
2: understand what she was thinking with that scene like i how does I, I, how does a grown where he's like grown in the era like you know 16 years old yeah yeah slapping a child how am i supposed to be on his side
1: I, I mean, maybe you're not supposed to be like maybe in that moment you're supposed to see a Johnny that is that is pushed to a breaking point And it's a it's a fl- it's a failing of his. Right. Like, well, I guess.
0: yeah, like there, there are a couple things going on. Like one, he I mean, he should be the one who's been invited into this family's bosom and like enjoy yeah, all true. of the all of the benefits of having all their. Money. That's so a good like point. That,
2: I hadn't actually even thought of that aspect I think of like, it, but that's
0: I, true. That might be a little bit of it, and then just seeing like Izana being kind of a brat and also being distant from Scylla. Like, there's a, there's a bit at the end of the book where mm. um, Lavinia Light is going to go to Europe to like to wait out the war, basically, and they do this this thing like with a puppy in a cartoon where <laughs> Scylla and Lavinia Light or like which of us do you love more? Like come come to the one that you love more and stay with us. And like I I think the re the only reason I can justify like Johnny in that moment is like one, the light like family thing, and two, like him being really like he, he knew he knows better than anybody how much Scylla did for that kid and
2: right.
0: Izana is just like totally willing to, to leave Cilla behind, like because she likes pretty things and she likes being like a lady's, you yeah, know, little doll yeah. baby, basically, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That scene where where Izzy decides to go and like Lavinia's like, oh, she'll be an actress and everyone will love her. And I'm like, it's the late 1700s, and I know that like people there were star actors, but I don't think it's a, re- a reputable profession. So you're <laughs> yeah. just gonna steal this girl from her home. And then, like, make her into a plaything. Cool job, Lavinia. Was Lavinia
0: Light the original stage mom? Like, is that what we're, <laughs> is that what we're setting
1: her up to be? I think that's probably true. <laughs> um, as we, like, we should probably keep pushing. So, what about the longer Revolutionary War plot? Like, worked for y'all, the hairy blueing of it all. Like, putting Johnny, inserting Johnny into history uh, in, like, these tiny little moments where, like, of course someone did that, so why isn't it Johnny Tremaine? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I feel like comparing him to Forrest Gump would be more apt, honestly. Yeah,
1: that's true. Because he's, like, this
0: minor character who actually was, like, just in the corner of the frame when every single thing happened. I did think it was interesting, especially given... um, Given Esther Forbes' obvious like penchant for history and her like love of studying this period and getting things right, um, I think it is interesting to have the book set not from one of the like heroes of the Revolutionary War who were mostly like moneyed, educated dudes, yeah, and instead having this like working class kid who's mostly yeah. an errand yeah. boy through it, like the person who we're seeing seeing the whole war through the eyes of like that, that's yeah. an interesting perspective to
1: me I think the two events that like he really takes part in aside from like running information around is like uh, Sam Adams has to give this speech about the deal with the tea mm-hmm. and if he says one word if he says like one set of words then the tea party happens and if he says another set of words they don't and Johnny's the one who has to hear those words and then like blow a whistle mm-hmm. and then also he's the one who gives the signal to the guy who gave the signal to Paul Revere? Which yeah. is like, okay, yeah, someone had to do that. Um, we have no evidence of who that was. So why not why Johnny T-Bone? It? Why not my boy Johnny? Um Yeah, and then it and then it's just like here's Johnny living through this like siege of Boston where some of the English people are okay and Some of them aren't, and he's dealing with this family drama. Uh, Some
2: of the things that I found interesting about the way that she did this was just like, and I remember not liking this as a child reading this, because, you know, you hear the name Sam Adams and John Hancock, and they're like these figures of almost godlike importance, Mm. and you expect them to be really remote, dignified. And Sam Adams is kind of a bastard. Like, yep he's he's a jerk to his friend who's got like a mental illness thing happening kind of in front of a crowd not wanting to invite him to the thing and being really dismissive when he finally does speak and speaks beautifully and captures the attention of the whole audience which apparently sam can't handle at all because he's
1: a huge (laughs) diva
2: and also he's a little bit bloodthirsty every time somebody's like uh, so maybe we could settle this. He's like, yeah, no, we're not settling this. I'm going to nah. murder somebody.
0: Yeah. It's um, it's really interesting how she resists like mythologizing them because she has this, this kind of famous quote Forbes does. Uh, most American heroes of the revolutionary period are by now two men, the actual man and the romantic image. Some are even three men, the actual man, the image and the debunked remains. So I think with that, you kind of get into maybe like Jefferson a little bit or like people who like owned a lot of slaves and were really bad to all of them. Debunked um,
2: remains is a really good band name actually. Yeah. (laughs) um,
1: (laughs) Well, that's a good question because is the remains a noun or is it a like past participle? It's the,
0: it's the noun, like, like somebody's remains. But what if,
1: but what if it was the, like, what if debunked was the noun? The debunked remains Remains. think about it andrew
0: i don't think i'm gonna think about it i was gonna say (laughs) it's it's interesting you get all these super super famous figures but the most time you spend with them is like drinking weird kombucha up in the attic of the (laughs) newspaper (laughs)
2: yes
1: (laughs) make make my weird revolution tea boy (laughs) and like bring it to me Yeah, Yeah,
2: they're grating nutmeg and adding limes. And I'm like, this is really (laughs) Brooklyn-y. But uh, I think probably, you know what? If you took a lot of the Founding Fathers and just plunked them down in like a Brooklyn artisan craft cocktail bar. I think nobody would be able to even tell. They'd be Um, into it. And also, I don't know if... I'm assuming that this is historically accurate. But... um, I think it's John Hancock was having like problems with headaches. There's like Mm. frequent references to him holding his head in his hands and just like dealing with that. Mm -hmm. And there's a part where Sam Adams, uh, his palsy is mentioned. And that gets worse when he's excited. And I didn't know about that either. Um, So I I also like details like that that are not only just humanizing on this uh, weird physical level that I don't really think about, but also remind me that like, you know, healthcare. hasn't improved
0: (laughs) sure yeah like you just can't find you can't find a good wish sometimes well true.
1: that jives with uh some some parts of the book that i don't love of like this is like a world where a lot of people's qualities uh correspond to their physical appearance um Mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of worth tied to physical appearance throughout the book um and there's like also johnny's like occasional we wouldn't be called racist at the time, but just like Johnny has thoughts on black people. You can just say
0: racist now, I think. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I think you'd say that now um, where he's just like, I have opinions about this woman who's not giving me what I want and she's black, but I held my tongue for 10 seconds and then she apologized. So I'm growing as a person like, okay, (laughs) Johnny, Uh, But there's plenty of other people who are, like, commented on in a physical manner that's meant to tell you something, like, bad about them. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, I think it gets to what you're saying, Natasha, where, like, we are – Johnny is very observant about people physically. Like, that's part of Forbes' prose is, like, really um, rich descriptions of people at the same time. So, like, when she is dealing with actual people, it has this interesting, like, as you said, humanizing effect. Yeah. even if Johnny Although, is then, like... Uh,
2: now that you say that about, like, the apology that he got, and then I think it's followed up with he got to sit in Sam Adams's kitchen and his clothes were dried and he made a, like, networking connection. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, like, realizing that like, he's thinking, oh, I'm growing as a person. now I know not to just go off on people because it could get me something. Which yes. is really not growing as a person. No. It's just realizing how further to manipulate people. I don't- yeah. <laughs> Which is fine and also valid in its
1: way. Yeah, we read the wrong book if we want to have a conversation about whether or not altruism is real. <laughs> you know, Because I don't think that lives in this book. Mm-hmm. But Andrew, you told us before we started recording that you had a, a, I was a just, website. I, was, I just wanted to get to that website because we had talked about
0: um, how historically accurate Johnny Tremaine is. I think generally uh-huh. it is held to be pretty historically accurate because... Of, uh, of Forbes and the like the interest that she took in this period. But uh, you know I googled it just to like see if anybody had like sort of a professional or just like a list of things that were that were apocryphal. So I found this site uh, johnnytremaineff.blogspot.com it's called Johnny Tremaine Factor Fiction all oh. online. There are four posts from uh, March <laughs> 16th to 19th 2015 Post number one, the book starts off with Johnny working on, as an apprentice, the Mr. Lapham in Hancock's Wharf, which is a real place. On that day, John (laughs) Hancock came to get a silver vase fixed. Johnny takes up the job and works on it, constantly works on it. Then he takes it to Paul Revere, how was a silversmith, to see how it is. Okay, second post. It's just titled, Johnny Tremaine Setting. The setting of Johnny Tremaine is in Boston around the early 1770s, before the American Revolution, with some parts of the story in Hancock's Wharf. End of post. Third post, titled Characters. Some of the characters in Johnny Tremaine are true, for example, John Hancock, Samuel Adams, and Paul Revere. Some of the characters are fake, though Johnny, Scylla, Isanna, Dove, Dusty, and Mr. Lapham. And then pictures of Paul Revere and Samuel Adams and links to their Wikipedia pages um and then the the crowning achievement just titled overall historical account which is really i think the the core of what we wanted to talk about Johnny Tremaine's historical account is pretty good the technology <laughs> is about where it was in the early 1770s muskets cannons silversmiths were in business and candles, <laughs> and candles. <laughs> the places wait what <laughs> yeah and candles and- the places in the book were also accurate Boston, Hancock's Wharf, and Bunker Hill. The people were somewhat accurate. They had Samuel Adams, Paul Revere, etc., but mostly the characters were fake. And that's the end of the. So, in conclusion, Johnny Tremaine's historical account is pretty good.
2: Thank you for that assessment. Uh, that's Johnny what Tremaine I found FF.
0: on Johnny Tremaine FF. Chrome so someone is- took... Chrome is telling me that the connection to the site is not secure, so be careful.
2: (laughs) Oh, imagine that. (laughs) It's like a deep phishing
1: operation.
2: (laughs) I really was, that was not what I was expecting when you said that you found a blog and wanted to talk about it. It should have been. I should have known. <laughs> now that you there know. was going to be another who was phone slut. situation. Yeah, Muskets, cannons,
0: silversmiths <laughs> were in business, and candles is probably the best one.
2: <laughs> we're in business. I love it. <laughs> uh, Muskets, TM. Mm-hmm. Muskets, um, TM. All right. So, God, I feel like we've talked about everything in such a circuitous fashion that it's really yeah, hard for that's me to true. get a grip on what we need to finish with here. Yeah.
0: Cause like a lot of it is just like, it's a little, it's a little bit slice of lifey. Like you see Johnny, like learning to ride this horse goblin, you see Johnny sort of realizing that he's better at, he's good at other stuff and like recovering mm-hmm. a sense of self-worth by, um, by like submerging himself in this political, um, situation in Boston that he just like did not pay attention to at all before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's partly just like he is our he is our window into the events of the Revolutionary War, which happened mostly like you'd expect. Like you do you do get a little bit of Johnny when he's talking about that that guy, that deserter whose name is Pumpkin, which makes it a little yep. I feel like it undercuts the the <sighs> the gravity of, the situation. of the, yeah. <laughs> But he sees this this deserter who helped him named Pumpkin get like shot, just like executed. And he sees, like, Rob, Rab, sorry, is in the Battle of Lexington, I think, and yeah, gets yeah. shot. And Johnny sees him one more time. Johnny spends, like, the last quarter of the book just worried about Rab having gone off to war and whether he's, like, oh, alive yeah. or dead. But, um, yeah, just talks to Rab and, and kind of becomes a man. Like, there's a little exchange toward the end Um where he says, um, Is
1: this before or after Rab has like sent him away? So that Rab, this is around ra- okay. How
0: Rab? uh, someone's asking, I think it's that uh, Miss Mrs. Bessie, that that maid of the lights who he's in with. Um, she asks him, How old are you, Johnny? Uh, 16. And what's that, a boy or a man? He laughed, A boy in time of peace and a man in time of war, which I Which stuck
1: That's with a good me a line, little bit, but uh, yeah. yeah, I uh, okay. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Natasha. I have, no, a, I have a tiny bone to pick. Did anyone else at the end... So he, he goes, he finds Rab and he has a sad moment with Rab. And he's talking to, I guess, Dr. Warren, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the doctor's like, hey, could you, I just like see your hand for a second? And he's like, why? What about it? He's like, I think it's just some scar tissue. If I cut it, you'd be fine. Like... I found that unsatisfying. From a like, Johnny suffered this injury that changed his view of himself, and then became himself despite it. Was a thing I was really on board with. And then the doctor's like, "What if snip, snip, and you're, you're maybe you can't make silver again, but I'm gonna give you your hand back. And you can shoot a gun." Like, I. I guess that's supposed to be heartwarming, but I think it felt too easy. <laughs> do folks um, disagree?
2: I don't disagree in principle, but I feel like for a kid's book, it's predictable.
1: Yeah, that's that was part of it. I felt like I was like, "Oh, you're going to do that." He doesn't just like go on to be himself. Okay. Yeah, I
0: thought it was uh, like I didn't think it needed to happen, but mm-hmm. um. I did think it was an interesting choice to have it happen like right at the very end of the book where if it had happened any closer to the actual event, he would have just gone back to being a silversmith and there would have been no book. Like I think it's it's it's, like he dedicates himself to this cause, even though he knows he can't like directly participate in it. And then he like gets a sort of
1: past where then he yeah. can
0: like now that he understands it and has like given himself fully to it, even though he has seen like the horrors of it now, yeah, he, can, he can like go and be part of it. Like that's how, that's it- how I saw it, I guess. And I also like
2: that, you know, it's a little bit of a break in pride for him, too, because he wouldn't even let the doctor look at it before.
0: Yeah,
1: he he does reject it it earlier. Yeah, Yeah, like
0: the doctor asks him if it's something he'd had since birth and he lies and says yes, because he just he's so ashamed of it at that point.
1: Okay, if we tie it back to like Johnny vis-a-vis pride and, and shame and things like that, that makes more sense that he's like his acceptance of it is more important than like it as a, it as an actual thing that has happened to him hmm
0: okay because they kind of even stop bringing it up as a plot point they do like, yeah they do t- toward mm-hmm. the end like he just the, he just like he learns to write he learns to ride he learns to do pretty much everything he needs to to do and he stops thinking about it mm-hmm. yeah hey craig sometimes true. books have themes yeah <laughs> have you heard just, not themes? all of
1: not all of them do <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes stuff just happens in an order and then you're done. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like a good note to end uh, any given podcast on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Natasha, Did you have any, any like closing thoughts, anything that you wanted to hit that we didn't get to?
2: Um, let me look. Oh, I had forgotten the part. Um, something that I really like, cause we were talking about Mrs. Bessie, the cook, um, and like head housemaid of the lights. Um, and she has this, like, inside knowledge that they're going to jump the Light family once they get to their country house. What happened to Andrew? He disappeared.
1: I'm still Andrew, here. Andrew, come back. He's here.
2: Oh, your picture's gone for me. I know. Um, That's the but best part. She <laughs> <laughs> uh, she keeps it under her hat until it's time to um, actually, like, make the attack and then she tells them just before the angry mob gets to their house. And I like that there's a uh, Johnny liked the old woman all the better that in the end, she had been unable to see a considerate master whom she had served for 30 years, a young woman whom she had taken care of since she was a baby, humiliated, tossed about, torn by a mob. Sam Adams might respect her the less for this weakness. Johnny respected her the more. Mm. Um There are like a few moments like that in this book that I like where it's really unclear what the right, right thing is to do Yeah. in terms of like, what's the right thing as a human being? And what's the right thing for the rebellion? And what's the right thing for just like common sense and being smart about things? And she's careful to not conflate them all as being the same thing, which I think is an admirable approach.
1: Yeah, and as we said, I think as you said at the beginning of the show, like not all of the British characters are just like heinous monsters. Mm-hmm. Like one of them seems like a pretty normal guy who is in love with Madge, and like they hug a lot, and like yeah. hopefully it all works out.
2: She <laughs> like... sits on his lap even though he's very small.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like all and right, he
2: calls her his suet pudding, which is ew. What? No. <laughs> Listen, no man ever better call me his some suet pudding. <laughs> there will be hell to pay.
1: Yeah, so yeah, know. that kind of gray the 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 gray aspects of the book are are pretty pretty remarkable for how like it is still a light book. It is still a lighter read for a younger audience, and it still accomplishes that stuff. Mm-hmm. Cool. I, I had fun with Johnny for me.
0: Yeah, I enjoyed it. I, yeah. I had never I had never had occasion to read it. I don't know if I just like the curriculum that I was assigned just just never had it in there anywhere. But yeah, I had somehow missed it. And I'm I'm happy to have have unmissed it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, said, <sir>. yeah. <laughs> words are hard.
0: We've been talking for a while.
2: Uh, yeah, I, this wasn't a, like curriculum book. Somebody just gave it to me and I read it. Um, but I'm glad to come back to it because it's been so long that it was like. There was hardly anything familiar about it anymore. Um, so, yeah, thank you guys so much for joining me on this. Thanks yeah. for having us. No, no, it was this super is great. fun. Yeah. Um, do you all want to do some plugs before we? Oh, what are our plugs? Craig,
0: plug. I think just our, uh, our show and its, what? Many, it's it's various accounts.
1: Overdue. Facebook.com slash overdue pod, Twitter.com slash overdue pod, www.overduepodcast.com. That's Those it. are the
0: ones. Every week we read a book that one of us hasn't read before and we talk about it. And usually it goes okay.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you guys are doing for, um. I think it's not just patrons only because you post it on your regular feed too, the the Stop Homer time.
0: Yeah, yeah Stop, Stop Homer time. That, it's right? show within a show. Patrons get it early, but everybody else gets it too. Where we're reading um, Emily Wilson's new or newish now translation. I guess new in the terms of like... The Odyssey the scale well, the Odyssey of the Odyssey yeah. but uh, Emily Wilson's translation of it which is really really excellent it's the first full translation of of the work by a woman into in at English. least into English yeah, yeah. Um, and we're yeah we're having a lot of fun with with both her translation specifically and just generally with the goofy things that happen in that book so it's been yeah it's been a lot of fun
2: yeah, I've read The Odyssey, and listening to y'all's interpretations of some of it really puts into perspective, because, <laughs> you know, you just sort of take things for granted, because it's a myth and whatever, but when you say it in a certain way, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's kind of shady, huh? <laughs> um,
1: well, and it, it is fun, because we don't normally go through books at that granular of a pace, mm-hmm. um, so for us, it is a little bit of a departure from the regular show, because we're going, we're both reading all of it, um, and we are going like two books at a time so we're, we're going getting a little bit more detailed and picking apart individual parts of the verse or individual scenes which is also kind of beneficial to how the odyssey is structured so yeah
2: um all right well i'm gonna do a little plug that uh, y'all can include on your version because yeah, we have slightly it. different beginnings and ends yeah um so i am the creator of unspoiled podcast network which now has like 30 something shows Um, and all of them are covering a TV show or a book, uh, a few chapters at a time or one episode at a time. And the gimmick is that in almost every single one, at least one person has seen the whole show or read the whole book and the other person is coming to it for the very first time. And, uh, right now what I'm covering still, I'm doing a reread of Harry Potter, which, um, I did the whole thing uh for the very first read through with my co-host Rashawn who had never read them before. She swore she would never read them in all caps on Facebook. Like oh, okay. was really <laughs> snobby about it. And I managed to like bully her into doing the podcast. And then she became this super fan. And like we went to LeakyCon this year and she had her robes on and it was just, she's fully nerded out now. And it's so satisfying. That's always really, um, yeah.
0: Because you get to, you get to introduce something, someone to something they like. And you also get to say, I told you so. <laughs> So- <laughs>
2: yes. Andrew, you really understand me. Thank you. Um, so yeah, we we did the whole book and we did the first three uh, as a reread. And then the rest of the reread, I'm doing patrons only. Um, and I'm, we're going to be starting the second season of Westworld, which I have not seen. Um, I'm really excited for that because the first season was bonkers. And Dresden Files, right now, which have either of y'all read Dresden Files? No, I haven't. No. Uh, if you want something that's just fun to kind of like listen to as a really, really well done audiobook, it's James Marsters who does those books. Highly recommended because they're cool. super fun and they like covering them as a podcast is awesome, but you really can fly through them and have them just be a relaxing thing. Um, and yeah, it's just uns- there's like so much that we did for unspoiled. We did Hannibal. We did the first season of True Detective. We did Justified. We I ju- am just wrapping up on Dark Tower. Spoiler: some of it's good. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> there and doing Legion and Orphan Black right now. Um, oh cool. So yeah, cool. there's a ton to it, and uh, there's a lot of patrons only stuff. I'm going to be restarting Black Mirror soon for patrons only. So you know. check out unspoiled guys do it
0: um yeah (laughs) ha ha (laughs) ha oh oh, man that was a a good time what a cut up i can't believe he dumped all that silver on his hand i can't believe he dumped all
1: that tea in the ocean oh
0: man he's just dumping stuff left and right and then his hand was fine at the end
1: so weird how that works
0: Oh, Johnny, never change.
1: Never change, Johnny. Um, Thanks, everyone, for listening. (laughs) If you have thoughts on this episode, on the American Revolution, or on silversmithing, you can hit us up with an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us on social at twitter.com slash overduepod or facebook.com slash overduepod. makes our weeks brighter um, and maybe It helps us stand up, you know?
0: Oh, God. That a man can stand up. (laughs) to his Twitter and listen to, to a his, podcast to
1: his Twitter following <laughs> Andrew if folks uh, want to know more about the show where should they go
0: they can go to overduepodcast.com. Um, once they're there you can subscribe via iTunes uh, Google Play or our RSS feeds and get new episodes when they come out every Monday um, we've also got links up there to our patreon project that's patreon.com overdue pod you can use that to give us money if you like the dumb stuff that we do um and what what else is up there people need to know about there's also a new listener page where if you're trying to introduce someone to the show we have some episodes that we particularly like and then we've got a schedule for the books that we're going to read for the next month so craig do you want to just run them down our september schedule
1: as soon as it loads on my computer i would love to tell you it's being slow for no you reason, your
0: need upgrade your, you your MBIPs. My MBIPs m- are usually fine. Oh boy, I'm just going to see if I can get to this. I got it. I, it, I, got it I got it. I got right, it. I got it. I got it. it. Are you sure? Are yes. you 100%? Okay. Uh,
1: so this week, we talked about Johnny Germain. That's the first one. Uh, Nailed it. Then we're going to talk about The Walking Drum by Louis L'Amour. Uh, then we're going to hit up Louis L'Amour. Gravity's <laughs> Rainbow. It's a big un by Thomas Pynchon. Thomas, Thomas big- Pinchon. <laughs> And then we will close out the month with Twilight Numu by Stephanie Meyer. <laughs> oh, that is the second of the vampire books that she wrote. <laughs> Twilight Numu. So Moon. the lore. So <laughs> vampires again. Uh and then at the end of the month, we will also have our next uh extra like what is the what is the big size what's the candy bar thing when they're called um share
0: I just call it share size it's
1: not share size it's like big it's extra like the times. twix
0: with four in it instead of two
1: yeah double wide bonus episode of stop <laughs> over time um but if you want those on a month month basis head to patreon.com for more information tell them Andrew. Right, everybody
0: thanks so much for listening to our show Um, one if by land, two if by try to be happy. (laughs)